0: The following message is brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. To learn more about the Ezra Institute's mission to advance the Lordship of Christ, please visit
1: most no, 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 irresponsible disgusting take
2: alive in the world. Shut up for a second, please. This is a culture clash, plain and simple.
1: How do you think you are talking to me like that? I resent the fact that your implication, that only you are a Canadian.
3: All right, let's get busy, kids. It's that time, Tuesday mornings after 9. We've got the culture clash, and today in the studio with us, the uh, Reverend Dr. Scott Mass, an associate pastor at the Westminster Chapel in Toronto, and Justin Trottier, spokesperson for the Canadian Secular Alliance. Good morning to both. Good Good morning morning to both of you. You know, Justin, before we got started, you were actually saying that uh, you are uh, familiar with Nate Phelps, the son of Fred Phelps, the notorious founder of the Westboro Baptist Church in Kansas, uh, who is apparently, according to his son Nate, uh, on his deathbed. Uh, This was, I guess, uh, something he posted on his Facebook page early on Sunday morning to announce that his father was, quote, on the edge of death at Midland Hospice House in Topeka. Uh, Now, Nate Phelps... He left this extreme Christian sect, uh, I guess, several years ago, and... uh he's now with your organization, yeah, That's that? right. He left actually 37 years ago, Wow! and he is now one of several
4: uh, children and grandchildren uh, who have been fleeing the Westboro Baptist Church uh, more and more in, in recent years. Um, Nate broke the story uh, over the weekend that his father was uh, apparently um, on his deathbed. He also broke a story back in August that, and this is ironic, apparently Fred Phelps was displaced as leader of the Westboro Baptist Church, and there was a power struggle involving one of his daughters who had assumed essentially the spokesperson role for the church in the last several years and now a, a group of male elders has taken charge. But Nate left the church years ago and has become um, a spokesperson, actually, for uh, the gay rights movement. Uh, he's come out as an atheist, and he works for the educational charity, the Center for Inquiry, trying to undo some of the damage that his father and and his father's church has been responsible
3: for. Well, yeah, and the Westboro Baptist Church are uh, known, I guess, for uh, some of the stunts that they pulled, including picketing uh, returning vets from iraq and afghanistan uh with their banners god hates fags this is the reason that uh, you know uh these people are killed in military duty over overseas because of uh, retribution the lord is visiting upon a wicked nation the phelps engendered this what some would say is uh, full-on hate bigotry and all the rest of that although they have a first amendment in the states that allowed them to say it i, I suppose it's one of these uh questions you know truly philosophical. Uh, is he to be condemned uh, or more to be pitied than scorned, Scott? Well, I think he, the man gets universal opprobrium from one
0: and all, more or less. Uh, I, as a Christian, do not really regard this man as a representative of the Christian faith. He hardly speaks uh, to, uh, he, he certainly doesn't represent anyone that I know. Uh, and uh, uh, Quite frankly, I don't even know what to do with this story. The, the, a man who is, uh, quite frankly, not recognized by Christians, who is hated by those who aren't Christians, is dying. So what? He's dying. I mean, I don't know what to do with this. What, Whether we should forgive him. Did you give him a
3: Christian burial?
0: Well, I, I... <laughs> I look... It's a, he's been excommunicated from the church that he acknowledges that he founded, which would, said to me, would say to me that he does not get a Christian burial, actually. No. Actually,
4: this is what's ironic. He was apparently excommunicated because he had made some suggestions that the church should be more open and friendly to each other, mind you, to, mem- to fellow members of his co- very small congregation. Mm. He actually had been found to be uh, too friendly, not, not, uh, not assertive enough, not uh, I would say not hateful enough, um, frankly, for for his church Uh, so there's kind of an irony to to the end of his life which is actually of course quite sad i think the question for me is those who were um, harmed by him and by his church what is the response do we do we fight fire with fire do we picket his own funeral which is what i've heard some suggest um, or do we break that cycle of hatred Do we respond in in other ways? Do we look out for um, the well-being, for example, of the children? There are still young people who are associated with this church who are being indoctrinated into this. What do we do about them?
3: Well, that's a good uh, question because, I mean, uh, what you hear in the New Testament, uh, the directive is to turn the other cheek. And do you, in this case, I mean, uh, a guy like that who's, you know, and I get where he might have tried to soften his stance. Some might say a deathbed conversion of sorts. Mm. Uh, are those ever credible, by the way, Scott, the deathbed conversion?
0: Sure, there are. There's such a thing. It happens rarely. Uh, I, I don't know what the conversion would be and, and and what exactly, as far as the general public goes, those who have been offended by him, uh, what precisely, what standard what uh, would they be restoring him to? I mean, would he be the... You know, the, the the fuzzy hug of everyone. I mean, he would be restored to that by by repentance to what standard, I, to what God? I, I just don't even know what the terms mean there. Uh, we could forgive him. Well, what does that mean? I, I, I don't know. I don't even understand the the, the terminology or the discussion. So no frankly. statement
3: needs to be made here sort of in his passing. Nobody needs to punctuate the point and stomp on his grave. Just let it go. Is what well,
0: If they want to stomp on his grave, they can do that as well. As far as I'm concerned, I I think that's that's treating somebody with contempt even when they're dead and I would say that that ought not to be done anymore when he was doing such things that I thought it was disgusting and outrageous Uh, to do the same to him would be equally so because he's a he's a man who bears God's image but on the other hand uh, aside from that I don't see I agree with you Scott
4: I mean I could certainly understand the sentiment behind those who who want to offer scorn and ridicule and and give him everything that he deserves as they see it but I think that that would merely reinforce the the idea that, um, that hatred is self-perpetuating, uh, that somehow hatred is, is, is a strong or a powerful force in the world. Uh, and, I, and I really hope that that isn't the lesson that we all take from this
0: experience. Well, the point is that hatred is self-perpetuating and that sin is something that not only exists and uh, is, is uh, endemic in mankind, <coughs> but that it, it, it breeds more sin. And uh, the thing about the, that this man that I find so offensive is he represents the gospel, which is that everyone is a sinner and that Christ died for their sins. And so it's the gospel of, yes, by all means confronting people with that, but also preaching the gospel, which is that Christ died for sinners. And I didn't, I've never heard this from this man. He seems not to know the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ, who he allegedly represents. So I just think... I don't know what to do with this guy. He's been excommunicated for not being strict enough, okay. according to some bizarre standards. I mean, it's a non-church uh, of a man who who is a non-Christian who is now has no understanding of repentance, and he's going to be forgiven by whom?
4: Well, I, I don't want to push this point too far because I'm very happy to see most uh, uh, church-going um, Christian folks come out strongly opposed to what he's doing. In fact, the various... Um, uh various uh, divisions of the baptist movement have come out and said you know the westboro baptist church is baptist church in in only name it has really nothing to do with with the rest of us however some of what he says he does point out things which which are biblical that that for example homosexuality is 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 a sin oh um, and that it's going to be that. that you know homosexual sinners will be burning in hell and all that kind of nastiness much of what he says, it's, it's inconvenient, I think, for, for other Christians, especially other evangelical and, and right-leaning Christians, because he's not saying things which actually can't be backed up by reference to the Bible. So I I'm glad like, that Christians have come out strongly against him, but, but there is that inconvenience to, to his, his existence, frankly.
3: Well, when you said uh, just now, Justin, that uh, he says he cites the Bible uh, saying that uh, homosexuality is a sin, you agree with that, Scott, but when yeah, he I says do. they're going to burn in hell, you agree with that, I do. So in unrepentant
0: other- sin is going to uh, that's correct. Sin must be turned away from repented of. Yep. Damned
3: to perdition. All right. Uh let me move on because I got other things to talk about here. You know, we've got the culture clash in effect with uh, Scott Masson and Justin Trottier. Uh here's another thing that has to do with cultural values in Quebec. You know, there's secular charter, uh much of which is I guess uh Accrue to the benefit of Pauline Marois, where the PQ, uh, right now, in a bit of a dogfight with the Liberals there, but if they come to uh, win the election and implement some of the things that they stand upon as their cultural uh, values and principles as Charter, today, Marois is saying she would even consider extending it into the private domain, not just the public sector. And so if it goes, I mean, trying to initiate that into the private life, uh, so that there are no overt religious symbols being worn, a Sikh turban, uh, maybe a kippah or the Yarmulke, uh, you know, crosses and things like that. Justin Trotche, does that make, as a secularist, does that make any sense to you?
4: She's just doubling down, I think, on the wrong interpretation of secularism. And I've been very clear. My position is that, um, for me, secularism is about the state's neutrality. It's not about pushing uh, atheism or, or, or pushing secularism on individuals. Individuals should have freedom to express their 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 secularism or their their religious um identity uh, as as they wish uh what what should be secularized are arms and institutions of the state uh so it's ironic that for example there's still a crucifix up at, in the national assembly in the quebec legislature hall that's not being talked about taken down um they're still providing this is particularly ironic public subsidies 60 70 subsidies to private faith schools But teachers in public schools will not be able to wear religious uh, symbols. Um, So they're not looking at the actual establishment of religion and the support it gets from the state in terms of these institutions. Um, But they're, they're targeting individuals who should have full freedom of expression.
0: Well, I don't see what the contradiction is, actually. I mean, uh, our, our, the former liberal pro- um, uh, leader, Michael, Michael Ignatiev just last year wrote a piece in which, and, I, and I'll quote here, he said, sovereignty is prior to law because there has to be a founding moment that creates the law. Um, so the, now this is the understanding of the, the liberal humanist, uh, which I believe that uh, my friend here represents, which sees the state as the source of all law and sovereign over law, and it creates the law. It's not bound by law. It's not bound by any rules other than its own sovereignty. So for the state to arbitrarily decide to do this and not that is in accordance with the principle that established the law. Now, this is not a Christian understanding of law, because we understand that God created all things. He gave us law and we all stand under his moral law. But if we turn around and decide that we're going to be the sovereigns that create law and Pauline Marois, as the head of her state uh, or province in this case, wants to create laws, then there's nothing standing in the way of that we can debate a God. Pl-
4: we can debate political theory if you want we'd be here for a while but I think well, that's what we're well, talking well, about we'll here, we'll find, but whatever whatever different political theory you want to bring in whether it's you know utilitarian based theory that that looks at what's in sort of the best interest for the population at large or whether it's more libertarian approaches both of those would agree on the centrality of certain fundamental freedoms and I would say freedom of expression what's the basis it, of it is law is, just, is the basis the issue. Fre- freedom of religion freedom of association these come from uh, freedom of expression so I think they that I'm they come pretty from good biblical
0: law, actually. You're appealing to things that you, you yourself do not. Pre-
4: actually, they predate biblical law. No, they there do are, not. There are various, <laughs> str- there Wait, are various really? strands of legal and political theory that come from Germanic pagan traditions, that come from Greek pagan traditions, and, yeah, that come from Christian traditions. And all of these come together no, no, in no. our modern uh, understanding the of political is big, theory.
0: as a biblical concept. And Why did it take, then,
4: about 15 or 1600 years before democracy emerged in Europe? Why, throughout most of European history, when Christianity dominated the continent, was it anything but democratic.
0: Because it took that long for Christians pr- to prevail in their pagan cultures and to, <laughs> to crush the paganism under its feet. Quite so pagans angle. were dominating Europe until the Enlightenment? I think the influence of paganism prevailed up until okay. that point. All yes. right, hold
3: that thought. I wanted to come back and see if the state has any business in telling parents how to conduct their affairs when it comes to vaccinating their kids. Uh, not so far a stretch here. There's a measles outbreak in B.C.'s Fraser Valley, and some kids showing up at school with measles, and uh, the contagion spreads. What do you say to parents who won't vaccinate? Is it time to start penalizing them and forcing them to get their kids vaccinated? All in the name of public health and uh, the social good. We're coming back with our culture clash in effect, and we'll take some calls on that note as well.
1: This is a culture clash, plain and simple.
3: All right, back into it with the Culture Clash. Dr. Uh, Dr. Scott Masson and uh, Justin Troche in the studio. And, uh, gents, I want to talk about something else that involves, I guess, a form of social engineering. But is it for the general good and public safety? Uh, we've just seen, for example, in this province where we are about to increase uh, fines for distracted driving. Up to $1,000, demerit points, and so on and so forth. Again, uh, with the explanation or rationalization, it's for the public's good. There have been various uh, contagions that have spread, measles outbreaks uh, in Alberta, Quebec, and now in B.C.'s Fraser Valley, and some people are promoting the notion that we should, in the interests of the public good and safety of children primarily, uh, we ought to force inoculations. In other words, parents who are reluctant to do so should face similar penalties that you might get for putting uh, people in harm's way with traffic, not wearing a seatbelt, smoking in public, that kind of thing. We always have these kinds of... uh, what we call deterrent mm-hmm. modifiers, right? They modify behavior. Justin Trotchy, I'll start with you. I mean, when it comes to vaccinations, highly contentious issue. Uh, there is that sort of parental prerogative, but does it make sense that parents should be forced to vaccinate their kids for things like uh, mumps, rubella, and measles? Well, it is a serious issue. I mean, this is a life and death issue. Let's be
4: clear. In in 2010, in California, ten children died of, of whooping cough. Whooping cough. Pardon me. Um, uh, and it was tied to uh, a cluster of of kids who had not been vaccinated. Um, so we we do have to find some solution. Now, I don't know how much I would I would suggest. Uh, how far to push a coercive approach. I think it is correct that public schools and other public institutions, public hospitals, etc. do require that kids be vaccinated to participate. If you don't want to put your kid in a public school, you want to homeschool your kid, that's one thing. But if they're going to participate in a, in a public institution, then I think public health does become the overriding concern. And in cases like measles, which is highly contagious, something like 90% of, of people in a community who are not vaccinated will, will catch it if there's an outbreak in that community. We're, we're seeing that happening in BC. There was something recently in Ottawa and in other places. Um, then I think, given that level of, of, of threat, where you need to have something like 95% of the community vaccinated to have proper what they call a herd immunity, that, yeah, the, the public health benefit um, does override most other concerns?
0: <clears throat> well, first of all, I vaccinate my daughter. Let me start by saying that. <clears throat> but I would say that the the storm over this, which I've seen has now uh, taken over the Globe and Mail and various other Alleged representations of national opinion seem to me to be working through a bifurcated, morally disturbed lens. uh, On the one hand, uh, not to bring this in, but whether they're going to allow uh, abortion on demand, uh, an absolute right to choose in that case, and we're not going to be concerned about the murder murder of the unborn, on the one hand. On the other hand, uh, we're going to be concerned about parents that choose not to vaccinate their children. uh, and the and the logic of this is that, you know, children might die uh, from that, uh, but it's only the children of those who have the children uh, and don't vaccinate them. Those who are vaccinated are not going to be threatened by the fact that these children have been vaccinated. So the real issue here is uh, that of really, it seems to me, the sovereign messianic state. Should the state uh, be uh, uh, Charged or responsible for the good of everybody that resides within it is it that is that its role and, and most people in in Canada think that the state is responsible for everything but there, but there are
4: i don 't want to interrupt you i 'm sorry for that, okay. but there are other approaches that can be taken that are that are not um, that are i don 't know how you 'd say it educationally coercive rather than actually you know uh, legislatively coercive, so for example, um, Health Canada right now actually um, approves uh, homeopathic and other so-called naturalistic alternatives to vaccines, including homeopathic vaccines, which have no effectiveness at all. No, it's and the quack- message that quackery. Th- it's quackery. And the message that that gives is that... If Health Canada stamps it with, you know, its approval, then there must be something to it. And maybe this is a valid alternative. Uh, physicians and, and pharmacists, you know, we talk about the the dearth of, of public trust in professionals, but actually physicians and pharmacists still among the two most trusted uh, professional groups. So they could do more. They could be more honest with well, their patients. Well, isn't really
3: the nub of it, it's not so much, you know, that the parents with the kid who isn't vaccinated... Uh, that uh, the health department or whomever is advocating for this, they're saying we want to protect the other kids uh, who are placed in harm's way because you've decided to be derelict with your own kids. Go ahead and do that, but don't uh, draw our kids into that sphere where well they
0: 're not drawn into it though they 've been vaccinated so they don 't so the issue here is those people ought to be forced to vaccinate their children and that 's the issue so they don 't acknowledge the legitimacy of the family and this is typical again of statism they acknowledge two uh, sources of authority. They acknowledge the state and they acknowledge the individual and when the indiv- individual does something that is harmful to the individual, the state takes over. So once again, and this is a serious problem and it goes back to what I said about earlier about Ignatiev's comment about sovereignty. They believe, he believes that the law itself, uh, the sovereign has to be above the law because the law itself may stand in need of extra legal authority for its defense. So we can even go above law, create new laws uh, in the name of the sovereign, and, and people think that they ought to be able to impose and force these parents with these children to vaccinate their children. I'm thinking, by what standard? Well, by the standard of our collective will. We right.
4: think well, You're, you're you debating sadism. I'm talking about saving children's lives, and, I'm not, and I not prefer Well, well would wait a minute. Uh, the two no.
3: are not no. mutually exclusive. What no. Scott's basically saying is he vaccinates his own kids, so sure. if somebody else chooses not to vaccinate their kid, his kid's immune. His kid's Correct. protected. And so uh, he's leaving it up to the other parents to make willful decisions, but he doesn't want Want the state to come in and start telling them how they're going to conduct their affairs
0: correct so is he right
3: Most or kids are innocent
0: though they 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 deserve to have life they deserve to be protected well first of all there are reasons to to uh doubt vaccinations i i i think there are there are uh in many cases, uh, but you choose to vaccinate your kids. I do because in my in, well, I mean, some vaccinations. I don't know if I do all the vaccinations, but but this is a matter. And, and vaccinations are increasingly becoming uh, less than useful as well. There There's a there's a resistance to uh, well, vaccines, vaccines are also constantly evolving, too. All
3: right, uh, let, let me take some calls here. Jeff on a 401. What do you say? Is this a, a public safety issue that the state has to step in and force people to get vac- their kids vaccinated?
1: I know, but this this argument is confusing me. Now, if if you have children that are vaccinated, they don't get the the disease, right?
4: Right. Mm -hmm.
1: So if the kids that are unvaccinated, the kids whose parents decide not to vaccinate their children, get the disease, isn't it the parents' responsibility? Because if, if my kid is vaccinated, then my kid doesn't get measles. So all the other kids that are getting measles are kids that are not vaccinated because the parents chose not to vaccinate them. So right. I, I, I don't see why the government should, should do anything because I, i'm
4: sorry these are innocent children i have to interrupt you here infants have died again this is okay, what young but then, children have okay, died but
0: again justin this is because what I'm their parents about are, are making their you Your know moral a dangerous on this though medical is that, decision for right, them. but you also will sanction abortion upon demand so again this is the moral talk. well uh, do, do you think that there ought to be restrictions on abortion justin I think there should be laws on abortion. I don't think that,
4: that those do you laws. You push should for them. I mean, you're, you're up illegal. in arms
0: about uh, parents uh, deciding for their children's well being, but you're not going to push against abortion. Actually, I, what
4: I've said very clearly here and in other venues about vaccination is I do not favor a legislative approach, I favor an educational
3: approach. I was talking right, about but where having it physicians be more up about the people, Despite the wealth of information and the uh, public health officials are all coming out in unison saying vaccinations do prevent the disease, obviously the education hasn't gotten through, or but at least there's something right. countervailing that where they're listening to Jenny McCarthy on the internet. Sure. So at the end of the day, uh, you're saying it shouldn't be parental prerogative, it should be the state that comes in and tells them they've got to get their kids vaccinated.
4: I think first we need to try more assertive kinds of education, which we're not doing. And I gave the example of Health Canada, which sends mixed messages. I would rather reform that. I'd rather have physicians and pharmacists not skirting around the issue of homeopathy, but being up front, this is science, this is right, pseudoscience. When,
0: when, when Health Canada uh, uh, adopts non-science as science, it, it, cre-
3: it creates a credibility gap. I, I agree on that. All right, and, let me grab a call. Mike and Markham, go ahead. You're on the Oakley Show.
1: Okay, first of all, excuse me, Justin, you're way out of order here. Listen, you don't tell me what I'm going to put in my children's arm. This stuff is poison. You're now creating an MMR shot with three vaccinations in one. The mercury levels are through the roof. We tell our people not to eat tuna because of mercury. Mm -hmm. And you're telling me an infant is going to put 45 times the mercury in their body to be vaccinated for three different vaccinations? Mm -hmm. Not going to happen. Mm -hmm. So this is the problem. We had a friend who, who, with their child, got the MMR shot. About two days later, developed a very high grade fever. Right. Never, ever recovered. Right. About a month later, autism. Autism set in. Right. The child was never the same. So you're telling me, you know, Jenny MacArthur or McCarthy, you, you label these people as fanatics, whatnot. That's the label you give them.
4: Actually, but I didn't use that word at all.
1: There is validity. There you is, need to do the research and get educated. No, right. it so, a, so
4: when we disagree, it's because I haven't done the research. It can't just be that there's an honest disagreement. There. No, I, I think there's
1: an honest there, disagreement, there, there, there and was, it's your, pr- in your prerogative one,
0: callers to, to
4: do what you've done. I agree. There, yeah. there was one article that was published in The Lancet in the 90s by Wakefield which tried to argue that there was this connection between the vaccine and autism. He has now been removed as his medical license has been removed. Of course, Let me just finish, please. I'll let you finish. That research was discredited. He's made about half a million dollars by being in the, uh, in the payroll of lawyers who have fought litigation because of this false link between vaccination and autism. Parents have taken out (laughs) litigation. He's made money off of this. He's a crook and he's corrupt.
3: But based on as much as I've read about it, uh, I'm, I'm, We've got the medical health people saying that the jury is in on this and the science is no longer uh, open to question. But, uh, Mike, in Markham, you're saying it very much is in play and there's a you believe there's a link and therefore you choose not to have your child vaccinate. If your child gets measles and goes to school and there are other kids whose parents haven't vaccinated their children and spreads the disease, I mean, in, in what way do you feel responsible for that?
1: i mean I, I wouldn't feel too responsible because it's up to the other parents to, as you said get educated on the matter but here here's the problem there is a link there is a there is a big pharma issue going on here. the second you try and fight these people who back up politicians who back up the world. You're you're not going to get anywhere. It's a brick wall. It's a wall you can't climb. So of course his license has been removed. Of course he's been outed.
4: So anything that happens is consistent with your, frankly, conspiracy theory approach to this issue.
1: Can you let me finish? So of course he's now on the outside of the circle because this guy is now pointing out the obvious and he's trying to prove the science. This is big money.
4: And the hundreds of millions of dollars that he made in in, uh, being, uh, you know, on the payroll of lawyers... That's All right, okay
3: I, I got to move on. I appreciate your call, Michael. Obviously, mm. uh, there is one who believes it's a parent's prerogative, and he chooses not to vaccinate his kid. Is he being willfully ignorant, irresponsible? Is he just uh, deciding that he wants his own decision uh, based on his knowledge and his uh, his education, as opposed to the state making the call for everybody? Uh, holus bolus. Sherilyn Milton, what do you mm. say? Good morning. Uh,
2: this has been driving me crazy. I don't know what the why well, all of a sudden there's this huge push. Pretty much every news media out there is talking about vaccines, vaccines, vaccines. I'm with the one gentleman exactly. that's, don't tell me what to put in my child. There is stuff in that product that will absolutely cause changes to the body. And I will right. say this, like I said before, there are government compensation packages for people who have adverse reactions to vaccines. It right. happens. Right. They are not inertly Safe. So I would like as a parent to be the one that gets to choose what dangers I'm putting my child in. Right. There are color. more people killed every day by cars than there would be by a outbreak. Let's take the H one N one. What was there? Fifty five hundred people that died worldwide from this outbreak. It's fifty five hundred people out of billions. So, right. I, I and hundreds
4: think, of thousands think. of people used to die in the U.S. every year from measles and other preventable illnesses, and they don't anymore. So right, and 100,000 100 babies are murdered
0: and the unborn on babies, on babies are, that, are killed every year as well.
2: On that point, But on that point, those hundreds and thousands of people are not dying every year because... Our way of life has improved so much. People
4: no, I'm sorry. sorry, that is yes, dead is. wrong, and I mean it, it dead wrong. It's vaccinations that have made that difference. It has nothing to do with the environment whatsoever. Absolutely vaccinations is the only thing that's different, that's relevant. Are you
2: going to let me speak? You look at third world countries right now, they have the largest outbreaks of this kind of stuff. Why is that? Because they do not have clean water.
3: Or vaccinations.
2: They <laughs> cru- yeah, they do. They do Not, not have in
3: the places clean where they have medicine. these outbreaks. They do not. All right, I'm not going to settle it here, but obviously... To Justin's point, you believe these are preventable, preventable. uh
4: Well, look, I just want a quick rejoinder to what the caller just said. It's the communities where there aren't vaccinations in the U.K. and in Canada where the outbreaks are happening. The environment's the same. If it were environmental factors, it would happen, you know, randomly. So it's clearly that vaccinations are the deciding factor in terms of whether we save hundreds of thousands of people from an unnecessary
3: death. All right, uh, guys, we're going to close it off on that note. It's uh, one of those things, once you uh, kind of scratch the surface, it's just like uh, Pandora's box being kicked open. Uh, but it's the recent outbreaks in Alberta and Quebec and in B.C. that have led people to uh, re-examine this phenomenon. And perhaps that's why it accounts for the national push in various media outlets to, uh, yeah. to wit, Scott, uh, yeah. that has now taken on added currency or new mm-hmm. currency. Guys, I appreciate it. Uh, right. Scott Masson, again, is the associate pastor at the Westminster Chapel in Toronto, and Justin a spokesperson for the Canadian Secular Alliance. Thank you to you both. Thank Spirited, you. Spirited uh, discussion this morning.
0: Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Please feel free to share it with friends, but do not charge for or alter the material in any way without the express written consent of the EICC. Thank you.